The Hoop Collective is brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. Baseball is back, and so are your favorite teams and players. Catch the best of the bigs all season on ESPN Plus with over 170 live MLB games featuring every star and every team in the league. Sign up now at ESPNPlus.com slash baseball. And it's NFL draft season. Be sure to check out the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny for the latest insight and analysis with the draft just weeks away. You can find the Mina Kimes show featuring Lenny wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Hoop Collective podcast. We talk about the NBA, which we're doing on Monday afternoon. Joining us from Seattle, Washington is the machine, Kevin Pelton. Hello, Kevin. Uh, I don't think this is going to be the same as last week's pod. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Joining us from New York City is Malika Andrews. Malika, I was so impressed by the beautiful, plush, high-end environment that had to that had to be your apartment that you did the Zion Williamson interview that aired over the weekend. Um, my gosh, you have a beautiful place. I think let me compliment you on that. Well, thank you. Let's just go with that. Full stop. Leave it there. Okay. Very good. Beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. You. By the way. Excellent decorating. Thank Gorgeous. you. I, I, am, I, 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 my, I moonlight as an interior decorator. Awesome. Great work. <laughs> Great work. Can you believe we are going to dedicate the start of this podcast in April to the New York Knicks? Winners of six consecutive games as we do this uh, podcast. Play-in tournament. Forget the play-in tournament. They're a game, as we do this on Monday afternoon, they're a game and a half ahead of the Miami Heat. Uh, four games over five hundred, only a half game behind the Celtics for fifth, and really the Hawks for fourth. I mean, they're not they're right there with a chance to somehow claw out maybe home court advantage. Um, they had a tough schedule after the All-Star break. Um, and they've come through it, and they've kind of stolen a few games that they probably could easily have lost, including Sunday's game uh, against the Pelicans, where they get to overtime with a Reggie Bullock three and then win it. Um, Malika, this is really impressive. Um, they had an opportunity at the trade deadline, from what I understand. They could have traded pieces off. You know, they could have traded off Alec Burks and got a second-round pick. They might have been able to trade off Reggie Bullock and gotten some sort of uh, asset. But they decided they were going to keep this team together, and it's really paying off. And I, several times during the season, have said that I think it's the best course for the Knicks is to get a high draft pick this year. But they have gone for it, and they are being rewarded for it, Malika. Our our beloved colleague or former colleague, colleague Ian Begley, recently said, this is usually the time of the season where the Knicks have a whole bunch of games that are still left to play on national television, and all of them start to get dropped. Whereas on Sunday an afternoon, a matinee game where usually it's like, okay, yeah, it's, it's staying on national TV potentially because of the op- the opponent no, no. Julius Randle is now much must see television and watching what he was able to do. He got off to a little bit of a slow start. He told me after the game um, that he felt, you know, a little bit of bumping and bruising just from the, the length of the season, you know, his neck's a little tight, his shoulder a little bit, but he's like, I worked through it. I'm good. This Knicks team 
it is blown out of the water, all the predictions, right, that were made at the beginning of the season for what their ceiling could be. But I think a lot of it is, I mean, Reggie Bullock, watching him yesterday, some of the the clutch shots that he was able to hit combined with the fact that Julius Randle has said that last season he felt like he needed to learn how to be a number one option. He said he thought he knew how he could uh, do that and carry out that role. He wrote a, a really eloquent piece about that in the Players' Tribune. And he said that he really didn't. And he had to learn how to not only uh, have the brunt of the scoring load, but be a good teammate in that way. And so remember, even though they, the game went to overtime on Sunday and um, R.J. Barrett fouled out of that game, they were still able to, in overtime, were utterly dominant. And, and I mean, the garden, the 2000 fans that were in there, it was rocking like it was 19, it, like it was in the 1990s. I mean, it was a, it, it imagine if the garden was full this year. It, it's, it's really one of the most incredible stories of the season. So Pelton, uh, she mentioned Julius Randall. He's averaging 24. I'm rounding up a little bit. So just bear with me, but 24, 11 and six. Those are, and I know that we're in a we're in a, in a in a statistically inflated season. I've mentioned that a few times. I absolutely believe that's true. He's also leading the NBA in minutes. Um, but 24, 11, and six on forty six percent shooting, forty one percent shooting from three. This is an all NBA season, and he's doing it in his sixth year. Is his seventh year? It's his seventh year. And dramatically influencing his team's wins and losses. This is borderline. This is a superstar type perf- performance this year. I, I know that word's thrown around a lot, but what else am I supposed to surmise from the way he's playing and the way the Knicks are doing? Yeah, I mean, I think the story of Randall is somewhat similar to the Knicks as a whole, where there was an expectation early in the season where, okay, it's great that they're doing this. You know, they're blowing away the the projections, as Malika mentioned, but they're going to come back to earth, right? We know Julius Randle. We know the Knicks. This can't possibly sustain. And I think we've passed the point where, you know, you have to acknowledge that this is who they are at this point, that they are a competitive team. Julius Randle is certainly an all-star player. All-NBA is probably going to be tricky. I haven't looked at the forward spots, but you've got a lot of great candidates there. And, and maybe it comes down to, for a spot, something like the matchup we saw on Sunday at the Garden, which is him versus Zion Williamson. The other thing to, to remember here is all this is without, when, when Mitchell Robinson went down earlier this season, it was like, oh no, what is this going to mean for the Knicks? Are they going to be able to, to sort of stay afloat because this is a young guy who is just finding his footing? And so to me, that's also a piece that, that makes this all the more impressive because by all accounts, Mitchell Robinson was and is an anchor that they intend to build around and, and play around. Yeah, and they still have, um, they have a six-game West Coast trip that starts uh, the first week in May at Houston, at Memphis, at Denver, at Phoenix, and then the two games in L.A. So they have, you know, uh, you know, they're only road games left, by the way. They have, they're, they're, they're right at the beginning of, I think, like a six-game homestand. And, you know, they could really make hay on this homestand. Um, there's some, I mentioned that the Hawks are in front of them. They play the Hawks uh, on Wednesday um, at home. Um, but, 
you know, they they could really continue this streak. I don't know if they're going to continue the win streak, but they could continue making hay before going out there. And like, it's just, it's interesting. You know, they made, you know, when they, when they hired Tom Thibodeau, they, they knew what they were getting. They were going to get a guy who was going to hit the gas pedal and they had to decide what kind of team to give him. And, you know, they didn't, you know, they, 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 they didn't hit their free agent targets. And so they, they held their money for the most part. Um, they still have cap space. They're still holding on to some of it. Um, but as the season went along, they've slowly but surely ki- kept throwing chips into the middle. They went out and signed Taj Gibson, for example. Um, then they've traded for Derrick Rose. Uh, and then, you know, again, it wasn't that they made a big addition at the trade deadline. It's that they elected, even with guys who at the end of their contracts, who could leave in free agency, you know, a team in their position, you know, might have done well to pick up some assets for them. They were like, no, we're going to, you know, we're going to keep these guys, as I mentioned before. And so they've kept continuing to to push, you know, you know, into the middle there. And, you know, yeah, they've got some things on their roster that need to be addressed. And, and you know, they're certainly not a super competitor now, but we're talking about a team that has won one playoff series and, you know, whatever it is. And so, you know, Pelton, let me ask you this. With where they are right now, wh- where do you see them finishing? What do you see for this season before we talk about the short-term future? Yeah, I was a little surprised to just glance at the uh, statistical projections before we started doing this and see that they are still considered more likely to to finish seventh, to slip down a little bit than to finish sixth, despite this this winning streak that they've had, because I think Miami also has a pretty favorable schedule the rest of the way. And you know, kind of the, the stronger underlying talent. I think if you kind of project ahead to, you know, whether they can maintain this and then also what kind of the competitor they're going to be in the playoffs, one important thing to talk about, I, I'm sure it came up on this podcast, you know, when I was on and when others were on, and I think Kurt Goldsberry maybe mentioned it at some point, early in the season, a lot of the Knicks' defensive success with Tom Thibodeau was built on the fact that nobody was making three-pointers against them. So if you look right. at... If you look at the Derrick Rose trade as kind of a dividing line of their season, it neatly divides almost in two there. Before the, the Rose trade, they were sixth in defensive rating, but they had the eighth easiest set of opponent shots, according to the second spectrum quantified shot quality QSQ measure that takes into account where those shots are taken, the location of nearby defenders, what types of shots those are. And then a big part of that was that, you know, the three-pointers, opponents were hitting 32% of their three-point attempts before the trade, easily the lowest mark in the league, with only one other team below 34%. Since the trade, that has gone up, as we sort of projected was going to happen. It's up to 35%. It's still fourth lowest in the league, but it's in the ballpark of a lot of other teams. There are seven teams at 35% three-point shooting or lower, but the defensive rating has gotten better. They're third in the league since the Rose trade, and that's because they're second in the NBA behind Dallas in two-point percentage. And now that opponent's shot quality has gone from eight easiest to third hardest in the league. So this is a sustainable defense that we're seeing from the Knicks. It's sort of like if you think about a cartoon, they were the character that had run off the hill and they hadn't yet looked down and realized they ran off the hill. And instead of falling, they build a bridge somehow underneath them by creating this more sustainable, tough Tom Thibodeau defense. (laughs) So let me tell you what this builds up to. This builds up to a Sunday afternoon national televised game. Again, was it Saturday or Sunday? Sunday. Sunday. Sunday afternoon nationally televised game. 
against the Pelicans. Arena's hopping. Knicks are playing relevant games, you know, in, in the spring. Big time uh, play, uh, you know, to force overtime, sort of, a, you know, probably one of the moments of the season for the Knicks. Uh, Lonzo Ball, you know, the Pelicans fans, sinks to the middle, doesn't, even though his team is up by three, doesn't stick to the three-point line. Obviously not good strategy, but he hits the shot, and then they win in overtime. Mm. And so this is what you can't necessarily quantify at the start of the season. When I'm like, boy, it would be amazing if they could get a top four pick and add to this team. The allure and the aura of wanting to be in New York. Now, this has not worked for the Knicks for a very long time. They have whiffed on free agency consistently for a decade. It is not a necessarily a play to go forward, which is why they've you know, increasingly tried to go through the draft and things like this. But then you have this post-game interview with Zion. Now, I am not going to overreact to what Zion said. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, this means Zion wants to be a Nick. But a few months ago, I talked on this podcast about how I believe sometime in the next year and a half or so, there is going to be a player. And I don't know who that player is, but there's going to be somebody who says, I want to be a part of what's going on in New York. Because I just felt like they were in a good direction. And even though Thibodeau can be difficult to play for, I feel like the players were going to come through New York, see what was going on, see the young players, feel the energy, and say, there's nobody here. I can come here and make a big difference. And so here you have Zion. And regardless, Malika, you know, you, you had to sit down with Zion over the week. Over the, I don't know when you actually taped it, but it ran over the weekend. Um, and you had Zion being asked about playing in the garden and he gives the biggest Valentine I can remember hearing. This is sometimes you read players quotes and it sounds a little bit more severe than the quote actually is. When you go look at the video, you see that the players, you know, the way he said it or the connotation or whatever is different. It comes, so you can't always a hundred percent get the meaning of the quote with the, uh, with the actual words. In this case, it was almost the opposite. You read the words that Zion said, and they didn't compare to the video about how effusive he was about loving playing in New York. And Malika, this is my point. It's not just going to be Zion who feels this way. That's why this decision to go for this season, even if it goes against the, the strategic rebuild of that's, that the book says, the Sam Hinkie book uh, process model, there's some value in what's going on right now, don't you think? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I'm listening to what Zion said, you know, and his his whole face lit up in that contagious smile that he has. And he said, I'm so glad you asked me that. Yes, I thank loved, you for your question. Thank you uh, for your question. <laughs> I'm so glad you asked me that. Thank you, thank you. I loved here in college. I loved playing here. You know, he did say, other than New Orleans, he added that that little part. Um, right, this is one of my favorite places. Um, and he, you know, he had some monstrous dunks in that Sunday game. There was, even though it's a pandemic and this is ill advised, and please, folks, still spread out and all that stuff. When I was leaving the Garden, the 
outside, you know, that famous, there's many videos of this, but that, that famous video of Giannis, when he walks out of the garden, when he was playing there early on, and there were people with the Greek flags and he goes over and he takes all the photos and this, that, and the other, that's the size of the, the sort of crowd that was even in a pandemic waiting for Zion to come out to the bus. Um, so clearly there is this, this sort of mutual love there, but there's also, that's coupled with, as you said, Brian, there's been many players, notable players. I'm thinking LeBron James in like 2008-ish, right? Who said that New York's one of the, the, his favorite places to play over and over again, right? Players, stars have said, love New York and then have not come to New York. Now, what I am seeing is that we know that winning cures all, right? So that the we we saw um a, a, we saw players this year like Jeremy Grant tell the Athletic that he chose to play in Detroit in part because it, it has a black coach and um there are, are are people of color from top to bottom uh, in the organization. Jim Dolan for a very long time has been the antithesis of what players want to play for, especially in the wake of, of some of the things he did and said that we reported on, um, during the, uh, social unrest that followed the, the, the killing of George cases, Floyd. In some cases, not said. And not said, very much so, uh, or said to not say in an email, but then is always going, the truth will always come out, right? So, but with all of that, the difference is that's a losing Knicks team. That's not a winning Knicks team under Tom Thibodeau, which, who can be considered antiquated, who can, you, who had a reputation, who has a reputation for potentially putting his players out on the floor for too long. The question of whether or not that can coexist with the modern star. But Right now, it looks as if it's working. And if it continues to work, it's hard to say when you are building a culture the right way, like what happened in Brooklyn, that a star or two or three stars aren't going to say, huh, that's interesting. Let's see what that's all about up close. So you're right, Brian. Um, real quick. Uh, so you went down and watched Zion go to the bus? Oh, I, I stayed across the street. Let me be very clear with my two yeah. masks as I was no, watching no, I'm not, I'm not go talking to the about bus. Corona policies. I just, I think it's good report. Frankly, I think it's good reporting. Um, but uh, yes, I did. Uh, but uh, again, I'm still my hypochondriac Malika no, has no, not gone no, away. It's, no, it's fine. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to put that aside. I just, I like that you did that. Um, just so for the lay of the land, uh, the garden. If you've never been there, the playing surface is actually on the fourth floor. It's one of these arenas that's actually way elevated above the ground. Um, Boston is like that. It's actually comparable to Boston because they both have train stations in the basement. In the case of um, the uh, the um, garden, there's a there's a theater where they used to have the NFL draft and the NBA draft underneath the underneath the actual arena. What do they call it? Now it used to be called the Felt Forum. What do they call it now, Malika? Who's the um, title sponsor of that or you know i don't even know what's going on the point is the players the buses are on on the street level and the players have to come down for four stories some of them walk down this curling ramp or up this curling ramp but then there's also like a uh giant elevator like the largest elevator you're ever going to see um elephant elevator yes where they they literally used to bring the elephants for the circus up in it i'm sure um but uh, like the other day when LeBron, when the Lakers were there and LeBron was wearing that all royal blue outfit, which uh, generated uh, reaction, um, 
he was walking up the ramp. So anyway, the the buses in most arenas, the buses are in um, inside. In a lot of cases, they're underground. In in the case of Barclays Center, that whole arena is underground. It's like the opposite of the garden. And so the buses actually drive into an elevator and come down underground and then pull out. So this is one of the few places in the NBA where the buses are kind of out in the open. So I think it's kind of cool that you described two scenes and that fans would come uh, cheer for him. I just thought that was cool. Anyway, I digress too far. But um, what I think it's important to talk about with the Knicks and getting a star player, don't look at this as, oh, let's look at what their salary cap position is. Or when is that player, when is when are certain players going to be a free agent? In the modern NBA, what 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 the Knicks require for somebody to come there is for the for the player to say, trade me the Knicks. And, or trade me, and the Knicks are able to make a bid. And that's just the reality. The reality is a contract is over when the talent says it's over. And there was kicking and screaming. There's scar tissue that's built up. There's, you know, Anthony Davis got a uh, certain, uh, you know, mud on his his uh, shirt and James Harden specifically. But guess what? Those guys got where they wanted to. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call or click ranger.com or just stop by. The NFL schedule drops this week and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code HOOP. That's code HOOP. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live. The other thing is that the Knicks have the ammunition. If a player today said, trade me to the Brooklyn Nets, I want to be a net. You know, if if Superstar X said, trade me to the Brooklyn Nets, well, the Nets, they don't have, they've traded all their draft picks. They don't have any salary cap space. I mean, I guess you could, you know, anything's possible, but it's hard. Meanwhile, the Knicks have all draft picks. They have all the draft picks. They have extra draft picks from the Mavericks. They have young players in case they require young players involved and they have cap flexibility going forward. So not only does it just take somebody to say, I want to be a Nick, but the Knicks have the ammunition to go do it. Now, whether or not they're going to be in the mood to trade three first round picks and young players, whatever for a superstar in the short term, it depends on a lot of factors, but with where we are, unless you think I'm way off base, Malika, it just is going to, you know, just like, you know, Jimmy Butler, the, 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 the heat didn't have any cap space. Jimmy Butler said, I want to be a Miami heat. So it was done. And that's where I think the Knicks are. And I'm not saying that's what Zion said. All I'm going to say about what Zion said is LeBron was never that effusive. LeBron left little breadcrumbs. You know, he didn't, uh, he never said, that. I remember um, when LeBron came back, for the first time as a member of the Miami Heat, there were New York media members that had his quotes 
from previous times where he had sort of, you know, just did a little flirt with the Knicks. And I remember one person stood up and said, I actually know who it was, but I'll save the person the embarrassment because they still cover the league. LeBron, this was in the press conference before the game, his first game back is a heat in the Knicks. LeBron, you said you were going to be open-minded. LeBron was like, yeah, I was. And I picked the heat. You know, LeBron said he was going to be open-minded and and Knicks fans and media thought that that meant he might be coming to the Knicks. What Zion said was way, way more strong than that. And again, Malika, I don't think it's about necessarily Zion. It's about that feeling growing in the league elsewhere. I think, yes, it's, it's, Setting Zion uh, sort of aside, those comments are, are are interesting. It's for me. I am. I, I I sort of I enjoy the breadcrumbs. That's one of the th- reasons we love the league. Right? Is the the all of the things that go on and swirl around it. Right? And make it what it is. And with the Knicks, just because again, I mean, we don't even need to go f- as far back as. Um, we don't even need to go as far back as LeBron. We can look at sort of what happened with, you know, obviously the number one, number one pick a couple of years ago, this is the Zion draft. The Knicks fans were very disappointed about. We can look at the fact that the, the, the Knicks believed that they really had a shot at bringing Kevin Durant and his free agency to New York. And he did come to New York, but the other capital O capital B, the other borough. Um, and, so I may believe it when I see it. I think the Knicks are doing all the right things, right, in terms of on-the-court stuff. It, it just is a matter of all of those factors, right? And it only takes one, as you know, Brian. One star says yes. One star says I'm I'm coming and I'm doing this. And then, you know, that's when it starts to kind of become a parade. Pelton, so the Knicks uh, – so Randall has one year left on his contract. Um. Is Reggie a free agent this summer? Reggie's a free agent this summer, Reggie Bullock. He is, yes. Yeah. Um, the only guys they have under contract for next year are R.J. Barrett, uh, a little tiny little $6 million owed to Joachim Noah, but we'll just leave that go. <laughs> uh, Reggie Burke. over here. <laughs> I mean, uh, R.J. Barrett, uh, Obi Toppin, uh, Kevin Knox, uh, Emmanuel Quickly are the only guys on the books, uh, in addition to Julius Randle on the books for next year. If they want, if they, you know, say goodbye to all their free agents, say goodbye to Frank Nielakina, say goodbye to Derek Rose, say goodbye to Bullock, say goodbye to um, uh, Mitchell Robinson. You know, he's a free agent. Um, He's a team option. They're going to have a really interesting choice there because he's restricted this summer. If you pick up the option, it's extremely cheap. It's 1.8 million next year, but then he's unrestricted the year after that. And then they've also got some options. You could potentially pick up the team option, then extend him off of that. So there's a few different scenarios in play there. So so this is the question I have. Uh, What should the Knicks strategy be with this team, Pelton? Um, Now, the, uh, the situation that Mitchell Robinson is in is similar to the one that um, Nikola Jokic uh, was in with the Nuggets. Um, the Nuggets had an opportunity to keep Nikola Jokic for like a million or $2 million, or they could do a brand new contract and pay him like $25 million, but know that he was never going to hit the open market as an unrestricted free agent. Not that Mitchell Robinson is Jokic, who I might add is the MVP front runner. I don't know if anybody <laughs> heard. Um <laughs> Careful, jackass. Uh, um, th- if anybody, um, you know, I'm not saying Mitch Robinson is Jokic, but 
the, the Knicks could behoove themselves. They have, if they want, they can have 50 million in cap space, but the Knicks could, um, could do something there to make sure he never becomes a free agent and pay him a lot more money next year by dropping that team option and just sign him to a new contract. And then let me ask you this, Pelton. Julius Randle, I believe, is extension eligible. Yes, he is. I mean, it's it's a relatively low number because it's only a 20% raise off the $20.8 million that he's making in the last year of his deal in 21-22. So you know, I'm doing that math on my on the fly here, but it's about 25 million starting point, which is less, I think, than you would project he would get as a free agent in the summer of 2022 right now. Well, the way he's playing, maybe he wouldn't sign it. However, you have the option as a, as a team to try to sign him to an extension. And if you did that, if you did both of those moves, you would significantly reduce your mm-hmm. cap flexibility going forward. So let me ask you this. Should the Knicks want to keep this team together with those players or should they wait for somebody a big fish to come in and continue to develop their their young guys well i think the situation you want to avoid is that miami team that had that real great run in the second half of the season that fell short of the playoffs i i forget which year whether it was 16 or 17 and then they had the tyler johnson deal and they re-signed everyone and kind of Deion waiters james johnson yeah yeah i mean some of these straight contracts that are still getting passed around in the league right now were generated from that particular Miami offseason, Kelly Olenek as well. Yes. You know, he's been a more productive player. And that's the situation you don't want if you're a team like Miami and New York, where there's so much value to having your cap space open. The Heat were able to figure it out, but it, it took a lot of doing and some first round picks. They have no, they have no draft contract. picks left because it took them. Yeah. They got rid of all those players and they got to the finals, but their, but their, their, their pick situation is in, impeded. So it seems to me if you're the Knicks and you want to keep this group together, the right way to do it is to try to do the same thing that they've been doing the last few years, which is re-sign those guys to big one-year balloon-type deals, maybe more than they would get on a long-term deal elsewhere to make up for that fact and kind of keep rolling it over. But it's the same guys who it's not the revolving door feel that you maybe had when they did that during the summer of 2019. And also... These guys just have been better players. Like a lot of it, uh, with the exception of Marcus Morris Sr., who netted them a first-round pick when they ended up trading him at the deadline. They just got them Emmanuel quickly, by the way. That was yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, I think you just want to keep your options open right now as the Knicks, because to your point earlier, whether it's a trade, whether it's someone wanting to come there in free agency, you want to be in position to strike if you're the Knicks. Once others start, once stars start to believe you've got this group that can contend, and I think that you know the comparison to that Brooklyn team that made the playoffs two years ago before they signed Durant and Irving is the right one that Malika made earlier, and you sort of alluded to as well because teams, players, stars believed that they could go to Brooklyn and compete with some of those guys that were already there on the roster in a way that they couldn't with the guys that were left on the roster. From well, the- and Durant said. You know, Durant kind of branded the Knicks. I mean, I actually don't. I like the fact that Kevin is honest. His The way he feels sometimes changes. Um, but, you know, Kevin said the Knicks are not cool. Are they any closer to being cool? I think they're closer to being cool. It was pretty cool yesterday, I guess. Yeah. I should not be looked at as the like, oh, yeah, you're young. You know what's no, cool. I Malika, do not. You're a, you're a taste, <laughs> I'm 73. You're a tastemaker. You're a tastemaker. <laughs> um, knowing what you know about Giannis, uh, not Giannis, but you know, you know a lot about Giannis, but you know, you've spent some time talking to Zion. 
just from your perspective, what should we make about, should we just sort of laugh that off and say he was just excited, even though he was just lost a really tough game or should we make more of that Malika? What, what's your advice on that? Zion says what he means. So, you know, I, I've, I've been told that many times in, in the last couple of days, sort of as, as I was working on, um, my interview with him was that know that Zion is an honest person who um, says what he means and won't be uh, pushed beyond where he wants to go. So he should be taken at face value for what he said. I won't overstate that to mean that Zion Williamson is coming to the Knicks and this is no, that's no, but Zion is a person who says what he means. And what he said is New York is one of my favorite places to play. Um, and then he said as an aside, obviously, along with, with the Pelicans. So he clearly, would, by adding that, was trying to not ruffle any feathers. But he was honestly uh, and candidly loving playing in the garden. Now, whether that is for a day or for uh, seasons, I, 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 can't, I can't make that judgment call. He thanked the, the reporter for asking the question. Yes, he, he said, did. thank you for asking that. That is exceedingly rare. One thing I just want to ask Pelton. Just as an exercise, again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that Zion would do this. Just as an exercise, we have never seen a player reject a max contract offer to sign a one-year qualifying offer. You know, if you're if you're on your rookie contract, team has you for four years, then you're restricted. You can sign a one-year qualifier and then become unrestricted. We've seen a handful of players sign the one-year qualifier to become unrestricted. The most significant in the last decade, I would say, was Greg Monroe. Would you agree, Pelton, who did that? Yeah. Um, and then he left as an unrestricted free agent, went to the Bucks, where he did get a max contract. Nerlens um, Noel, speaking of the Knicks. Nerlens Noel did it. Um, back in the day, I remember Vladimir Radmanovich uh, yes. doing it. Um, known for... Um, being suspended, I believe, for getting injured while snowboarding and then saying he, <laughs> something else happened. Um, but the reason that nobody's ever done it before is because the spread, the difference between your qualifying offer and your max contract is so much money that it's a hard thing to sell that you're actually going to do it. Now, Chris Epps Porzingis threatened this to the Knicks, reportedly, told the Knicks, uh, if if you don't trade me, I'm taking that qualifying offer and I'm leaving. You won't be able to keep me. I think we all know that the Knicks um, were probably ready to move on from Porzingis, and I don't think that that was the absolute only factor in why they traded him. But Porzingis threatened it. So here's the thing. Because of what's happened with the economy in the NBA economy, the salary cap is going to stay flat, at least for the next year or two. As a result, the max contracts are not going to go up as we always thought they were. But Zion's qualifying offer is still is set in stone. Zion's qualifying offer, were he to consider this type of move, is going to be about $18 million. Now, that's because in recent years, they've boosted the value of rookie contracts. Back when this was LeBron's case, LeBron was looking at, and this is off the top of my head, LeBron was looking at a max contract being like $14 million. 
and his qualifying offer being like $5 million um, back in those days. A max contract in in three years, we have no idea what it's going to do, uh, Kevin, but let's just say that the cap stays relatively flat. It would be somewhere in the neighborhood of $30 million probably, right? Yeah, we, we know that there's a minimum of 3% raises the rest of the right. CBA. So if we saw that, it'd be $29.8 million. Okay. So that would be a $12 million difference between Zion taking a qualifying offer. He would basically be out $12 million. Do you think that's close enough that that could be a worthwhile threat, or is that still too much of a, still too much of a difference? Well, here's the other again, thing. Bro. He doesn't have to actually do it. And I don't even mean he, but, you know, again, player X. Could player X actually th- threaten the team enough and the team believe that to actually force a trade? Is it getting close enough or not? I mean, here's the other interesting aspect of it. If you're projecting ahead as you know, Zion Williamson's management, if he was actually considering this Oregon player X, is that it also affects your qualifying for the Supermax deal after your second contract. Because well, it also affects your ability to get the Rose provision. Um, you can't get a Supermax right. if you're traded unless you're traded during your rookie contract. Correct. And you also, I don't think, could qualify for the Rose provision either, although I'm not 100% sure about that. But, again, you don't actually have to go to that length. You just have to threaten, credibly threaten your team to force a trade. Yeah, I mean, the other aspect of it is just as these numbers get larger and a larger share of players' income comes from endorsements and things off the court, it becomes a more credible threat. But, I mean, it would just be such an awkward season to go through that I feel like most players are happy to to reject it and take the certain money and stay where they are. So no one's done it, basically. No one's really ever done it, and you don't think that that, that it's coming. I, I don't anticipate it's going to surprise me, but as, as Malika said earlier, all it takes is one. I have to say, Malika, after that quote got out there yesterday, there was an incredible amount of activity in the league, um, people responding to it. And I had an agent tell me that if if Zion ever pulled that maneuver, that we'd have another lockout. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think we'd have a lockout, but you saw after Durant left to go to the Warriors, they put in the Supermaxes you would see something in the CBA that would would be a Zion provision if he uh, if he tried that. <laughs> um, but uh, food for thought. Let's just, we'll monitor that. If only starting your fitness journey was as easy as starting this podcast. The truth is all the lift big, get big, and beach body ready in three weeks pressure stops most of us from even starting. And starting is what matters most. It's everything. Wherever you're beginning and wherever you want to be, Peloton encourages you to just start. With thousands of classes to get you moving and doing what you can, even if that's just a 10-minute low-impact class, they have those too. And when you're ready, take it up a gear with a 30-minute live DJ ride. Start with Peloton and find instructors that will keep you motivated to stay on your fitness journey. Learn the basics and build from there. Remember, doing something is everything. Get started with a Peloton bike or Bike Plus rental at onepeloton.com slash bike slash rentals. Terms apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavily on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, boom. 
Onyeho Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liquor, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. I want to talk a little bit about... The other team in New York, the the uh, the OB, as uh, you said, Malika, the Brooklyn Nets. Um, we don't have an update yet. By the time people hear this podcast, we'll have an update on Durant's uh, leg contusion that he suffered in Miami on Sunday. Um, Malika, I've been saying for a while now that I'm not really worried about the Nets' cohesion because They've proven, you know, Durant's proven he can play with anybody at any time, and and Kyrie and Harden have done such a good job bonding. But so much drama is happening to this roster. You know, LaMarcus Aldridge on, playing good, and then terrible. He has to retire, you know. Now Durant's yo-yoing in and out. Harden's hamstring injury is keeping him out longer are we into the concern zone? Uh, this is a team you spend a lot of time around. So I asked uh, Steve Nash, I've asked several players this, but basically, you know, the, the thought that the, the company line early when all of these injuries were happening, um, and even when some of the other absences, right, uh, Kyrie Irving's extended personal absence, the health and safety protocols, one and two absences for Kevin Durant, where he missed a week each, all of those the one and two absences the, 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 it, throughout all of that, in addition to the hamstring injury for Kevin Durant, which kept him out for nearly two months, the pervasive company line was, it's fine because we just need to be healthy when it counts. And so it's inching closer to the time that it counts. If, it, if, if it, when it counts is the playoffs, like this is uh, the penultimate when it counts time, right? And I've sort of been told that, well, I guess yes, but what are we going to do about it? I, 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 I've right. been told that, sure. I mean, I guess our our concern is is growing a little bit, but what can we do? Right? There's we really don't have any other options. So we can either wallow or we can kind of just keep plugging along. Um, and so we know, right? The minimum number of games in recent history that top three scorers have played together in a regular season before going on to win a championship was the early Lakers with uh, Shaq, Kobe, and Derek Fisher. They played 10 games together. Uh, we are inching toward, after Tuesday's game, um, that that number, right? We're, we're getting down toward the 10 in single digits. They have a little bit over that left now, but you know, James Harden, they're looking to hopefully get back within the next week. That That's sort of the, the hope if he keeps hitting his markers as he had been thus far. But yeah, they're teetering right on the edge of they're going to have to enter uncharted territory in order to win versus doing it in a way that everyone is comfortable with. Now, that's not to say that they can't do it. I still am uh, sort of of the belief that you can't bet against this amount of talent, but they would be doing it in a way that I'm sure, just like everyone watching them, that they're less comfortable with than it would be if, as Steve Nash said at one point, we wish we'd had the entire season together, but that's simply not the case. So that's sort of the seesaw that they're riding. And, and to add context to that Fisher stat, I'm assuming that had to be 2001. When I think Fisher it was, missed, yeah. Yeah, most of the regular season. And it was back for the playoffs when the Lakers had maybe the best playoff run in NBA history. Uh, 
But they had played together since 1996 at that point. It wasn't 10 games together. Yes, that's a very good point. Together all time. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, that also doesn't include, right, we're talking that history. And, and Steve Nash has said, you know, the number one reason sometimes that he sees teams, you know, even the Clippers, right, recently, isn't because of a lack of talent. It's because they don't have that shared history. And so not only have the big three only played seven games together, and I put an asterisk by that seven. Um, by the way, there's a fascinating piece on asterisks in sports in Sports Illustrated right now. But I put an asterisk on that seven because one of those seven, remember, was the game that Kevin Durant for the health and safety protocols didn't start and then was in and then was pulled out again. Huh. So it's really six yeah. and a half. Yeah, so Pelton, they're now two games back in the loss column. And again, I think you know, there's games tonight, but there are two games back in the loss column from Philly, and Philly has the has the trade or the uh, tiebreaker. So if they're functionally three games back of uh, of Philly for the number one seed, obviously health is most important. Um, when they've been good this year, they've been great. I mean, they, to me, have been just so amazing. Uh, so dynamic. There's kind of two things that I just like when I look at this season and I see this offense that's being played in the whole league, I, I realize the teams are not able to practice. When we get into the postseason, we're going to see a different level of preparation and game planning. And I do think the scoring is going to come down. That said, you can game plan for a month and you, I don't know how you're going to stop that offensive force when they're all together. And I'm not so sure that it matters what actual physical building that they're in. I think they're going to be able to score anywhere. So where are you at with the concern level here? I still feel like if they're all upright and walking around by the time they get to the conference finals, I think they're probably going to win it. But I'm saying that off of feel. I have no good, strong reason to to believe that that's actually going to happen. I, I tend to agree with you, but yeah, we're in uncharted territory, both in terms of how quickly this group came together and, and how little time they've actually had to play it all together as a trio. And in terms of what this playoffs is going to look like, what the impact of home court advantage will be. I, I mentioned over the weekend in my mailbag in talking about the uh, the importance of CD in the play-in tournament, there's been a strange trend where for a long period of time, teams that had any fans in attendance, even though it's limited capacity, were enjoying much more home court advantage than teams that didn't have fans at all. And then we've seen home court advantage kind of crumble for everyone here in the month of April. And I wonder if that's, you know, it could just be statistical noise. It's a small sample, but it could also be now that we're up to, I think, is it tonight or tomorrow, 27 teams that have some fans. Maybe it's no longer as much novelty to have 2,000 in the building as opposed to the usual 20,000. So what home court advantage is going to look like is an enormous question mark. But the other element of this that we do have to probably should talk about is could Milwaukee still catch Brooklyn for second? They're two and a half back, had a, a bad loss at home on Saturday to Memphis. But they have two games, I think, with Brooklyn coming up that will both decide the, uh, the tiebreaker. Those are both in Milwaukee, too. Uh, both decide the head-to-head tiebreaker and could be a four-game swing in the standings. Yeah, they're um, they're two games back of them in the loss column, Milwaukee. So, although it's not as simple because not everybody's played the same amount of games, it's um, it's def- it's difficult to project anything uh, this year. Uh, but I mean, I can sit here and in close my eyes and see Steve Nash after being eliminated in the playoffs saying. We just couldn't overcome the chemistry issues of not being together. And I could equally see them holding the trophy saying talent wins out. I could see 
I could see both scenarios. Um, all right, Malika, thank you so much uh, for uh, filling us in on your perspective and the machine. You did your machine stuff as well. And thank you to Tony for producing. Thank you for listening to the Collective Podcast. We'll talk to you later in the week. <laughs>